Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Pro Skills Basketball Podcast. I'm PSB co-founder Logan Kosmalski. Excited about this episode. I get to speak with a former Davidson College basketball player, former Davidson College coach, and the current head coach of Swarthmore College, fresh off of a run to the national championship. But his greatest claim to fame is the fact that he's my older brother, uh, Swarthmore head coach Landry Kosmalski. Coach, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Logan. <laughs> I guess we got to keep some level of professionalism within this podcast, so I will call you coach as much as I – that's strange for me, but I'll, I'll give you that honor. But, yeah, thanks for joining us today. I, I guess we'll start out um, a little bit. I mean, I know this info, but can you, uh, can you give everybody a quick synopsis of your, you know, a little bit about your playing background, a little bit about your coaching background? Yeah, sure. I, I played uh, four years at Davidson, uh, Davidson College, North Carolina, and then I went overseas and played four years, uh, three in Sweden, one in France, and then uh, came back to coach at Davidson for a couple of years before returning to Sweden to coach a year. Uh, and then came back, coached high school a couple of years at, uh, Knoxville web school in Tennessee. And then, uh, got back to Davidson for three more years. And you might be interested to know that the three years I was gone from Davidson were the three years Steph Curry was at Davidson. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, uh, from Davidson came to Swarthmore, been at Swarthmore seven years now. Okay, so you've kind of been you had some international coaching experience, high school in America, Division One in America, and then you finally landed as a head coach at the D three level. You know, I kind of want to approach this episode as you know you talking to guys that wish to get into the coaching field or or, or guys that are currently coaching with us. So now that we know about your history a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about how did each of those stops along the way sort of help you in, in some ways? Like, did you take anything from, from coaching overseas in Sweden? Did you take anything from coaching in high school? Yeah. I mean, you know, all the different experiences and all the coaches I played for and then the place, different places I coach, I mean, they just really add to your perspective, you know, add to your coaching matrix, um, you know, where you just can kind of um, use those stories when you need them. Uh, or use the lessons you've learned from a lot of different coaches uh, in your own coaching career. Um, I, I would say that, you know, as far as advice for people getting into coaching or, or trying to find the right path, I think, you know, I, I started out like a lot of people, I think, where you get into coaching and you want to climb as quickly as you can. And then, you know, for me, the changing factor was having a child, having a first child. And then you kind of all of a sudden want to find the right fit. And that's, you know, I was fortunate enough to find at Swarthmore from Davidson, you know, the right fit for the right level I wanted to be at, the right, you know, place, kind of place. And um, I think now, you know, being the right fit, you know, and I'm very happy and have been fortunate enough to be able to have a little bit of success along with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, tell us a, a little bit more uh, about, you know, I, I know this. So I mean, I could experience it firsthand when you first got into the coaching ranks. I mean, you were you started at the at the bottom of the totem pole at Davidson, your alma mater, but you were making very little to no money, working you know extreme hours. Um, what do you think like a young coach should know? That's you know whether or not it's a guy that's been playing overseas that comes back and thinks they want to get into college coaching, or it's a current college kid that thinks they wanted to get into college coaching, you know, once they're done. Can you talk a little, a little bit about those early years uh, at Davidson and the sacrifices that you had to make? Yeah, I think it's important for people to know if they want to get into college coaching is it's probably not what you expect in terms of, uh, you know, especially if you're coming back from overseas and haven't played, like it's not going to be, 
you just get on the court and, and put guys through drills and get to the games. I mean, especially at the college level, I think there's so much more that goes into it. Um, one, the, the first and most uh, overwhelming aspect being the recruiting. I mean, you're recruiting every day. Um, recruiting is probably what you spend 75 plus percent of your time on. Um, and, you know, you do that and you spend a lot of time on it and you end up getting, you know, two guys. Uh, so it's it, recruiting is, you know, very pervasive. Um, and then all the little things in terms of travel and, um, you know, practice planning and gym planning and just all the little details that go into it make it, you know, it may make you very busy if you want to do it the right way. Any point during those early years with, you know, the long hours, the, the, little pay was there any point where you thought like this maybe isn't what you wanted to do no i, I knew i wanted to do it i mean you just kind of get used to you know what and the hours aren't terrible I mean, it's kind of it's just a cycle you know i mean to, at certain points of the season you're going to be really busy um out of season you're going to be busy recruiting sometimes but other times you're going to have uh some good flexibility so uh it, i think if you really love it it doesn't seem like it's all that much i do remember there were times that you know Davidson division one level, both before and after kids where it was, I thought a little tricky to find the balance that I felt like I needed personally in terms of, you know, having some flexibility to travel and, um, you know, just kind of get away from it and, and stay a little grounded. Uh, but you know, as you get older, you figure that stuff out. And I think being at division three, that also is a little bit, a little bit easier to do. So you were at the web school in Knoxville for three years. Is that right? Two years. Two years. Um, how do you think that helped you in your in your development as a coach? Well, I mean, I, you know, looking back, I was doing pretty much everything wrong. So, that, you know, learning those lessons about, you know, how to not do things was important. But I, I think the biggest lessons I took from that experience was my job there at Webb. I was dean of students. So, you know, kind of figuring out a little bit about uh, human behavior and, and uh, parental uh, relationships with their kids and how you, you know, how to, how you navigate those, uh, situations, I think has really helped me now as a college coach at Swarthmore. Okay. So let, let's, you know, change gears a little bit. So you were high school coach, went back to Davidson then got the job at, at Swarthmore, which, um, I bet our listeners, I'll take some credit for getting you that job and, you know, you'll, you can thank me later, but, um, yeah. Talk about that transition going from Davidson to Swarthmore and, and what you walked into and kind of what your expectations were and, and, and what it was like when you first got there. I'd say first that expectations were to, you know, turn the program around. It wasn't doing that well. So I thought we could, you know, become a, an elite program, but it was probably going to take some time. When you say not that well, like it was Swarthmore hadn't been not very good for a long yeah. time, correct? Yeah, I think his winning percentage of like 30, uh, like a 30 winning, what do you say, 0. 0.30 winning percentage for like it's 100 years of existence. So, yeah, not great. And I think the year before we got here, they were 3-22. and 22. So, um, you know, trying to figure out who we wanted to get in and, and what talent level we could get in. And uh, we, were, we were really fortunate to get a good recruiting class. We had a, guys, you know, a few four-year starters and, just really solid guys uh, that were able to, you know, do well in the court, get some experience when they were young, but also, you know, set the tone for what we want to do culture wise and also, you know, help us get some really other great guys in later. Um, so I think that was fortunate in that first class. Yeah. 
Now I know that your first year at Swarthmore, I think you you said the year before they were three and twenty two. I think your first year, what did you win? Five or eight games, something in that neighborhood. Seven games, yeah. We seven won games. seven games. So, yeah, we were seven and eighteen, and then we were eight and seventeen, and then eleven and fourteen. The first three years, yeah. So those first two years, how did you handle that on a, on a personal level? The the. <laughs> well, you're my brother, so you know, you know well how I handled it. But uh, I'll for the rest of the people listening, I'll say uh, <laughs> I didn't handle it well. Um, you know, looking back, it was very necessary. And I'm thankful that we went through those struggles because we took a lot away from away from it. Um, but at the time, it's it was difficult. Yeah, um, th- that I'm glad you said that you, you use the term necessary. Uh, I was going to ask you, you know, we just came across a quote by Virginia head coach Tony Bennett after, you know, losing in the the first round of the NCAA tournament becoming like, I think the only team in history to be a number one seed losing to a 16 seed and um, then coming back this year and winning the national championship. And, and Tony Bennett had a quote where he said, if you, if you learn to use it right, the adversity, it will buy you a ticket to a place you couldn't have gone any other way. So, and you said that those first couple of years were necessary. Do you think you would have had the success in the national championship run this year? Had it not been for those early years? Uh, absolutely not. I agree with the, uh... Coach Bennett's quote, 100%. I, you, there's things you can learn through adversity that you can't learn otherwise. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it any other way because it was absolutely necessary. So last year you went to the Elite Eight. Um, this year you guys made a run to the national championship. Tell us a little bit about, and you mentioned this before, when you first got to Swarthmore and, and you wanted to de- develop the culture. What is, what's the Swarthmore culture built around and ha- has it changed since uh, you first took over? I think we've been evolving, but overall generally has not changed that much. I think it's, uh, we just try to find guys that we, you know, I think in recruiting, we look a lot less at talent, although talent is important. Uh, we look a lot more at fit um, and, and that fit being, you know, kind of style of play for guys that, you know, we like guys that can shoot the ball really well. We like guys who have good feel. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is we, generally value guys who are good teammates. And so, you know, being coming here, even if we are now getting fortunate to get some talented players, but coming here and saying, Hey, I'm talented, but I'm still going to give up all my personal desires for the, for the good of our team and the good of our program. And I think that not everyone is capable of doing that. So we try to identify that through the recruiting process, but I think that's been one of the most important things that's, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. strong foundational aspect of our culture. How do you identify that in in the recruiting process? So if you were talking to high school kids and and we try to talk with our kids a lot about, you know, body language and what they can do in the court and how to appear like a good teammate, what are some things that, you know, a kid might be surprised at like when when you're watching a game at at a summer tournament and you notice a kid doing X and it makes you like them more or they're doing something else that makes you kind of turns you off? Well, I'd say, first of all, I I think that uh, what, 95% 95% of kids are doing right now is wrong. And I would encourage them to, you know, learn otherwise by, you know, not doing what you see them do in the NBA um, or what, you know, your dad or mom or uncle or AU coach is telling you, I think you need to, you know, find some role models that are doing it the right way. And, you know, I think doing things the right way would be, you know, making sure you're, you're talking with your teammate that you get your teammates that you're getting touches, you know, touches are important. Um, you, you say know, touches, of, you mean high fives and like, yeah, fives, yeah. slap on the butt, you know, making sure like put an arm around a teammate, like you gotta, 
be connected, you know? So um, I think guys who, you know, especially in these events where you're kind of thrown together, I think there's value in learning your teammates' names and knowing them and not just kind of, you know, again, that's another form of connection. And I don't think you just want to get in there and just like say, I'm going to be with this guy for 24 hours. I don't really care his name. I mean, I think you want to connect with, uh, with your teammates, with your coaches. So I think, I think that connection aspect is, is important. And we, you can see that in the way guys, uh, handle themselves in these events. Yeah. I mean, are you, are you analyzing things like, you know, body language, you mentioned, you mentioned positive touches, anything else come to your mind? Yeah. I mean, definitely body language. You know, I mean, I think, you know, our sport on the, I think it's one of the greatest sports there is because you don't have time to, you don't have a huddle like in football. You don't have time between pitches to hang your head or mope. It's, you know, you turn the ball over, you have to get back and play defense right then, or, you know, pretty quickly one mistake can become four. So I think it takes a certain level of mental toughness and, you know, guys just not beating themselves up for making mistakes because this is a game of mistakes and you got to, you know, move on to the next thing right away. So, and not a lot of guys at the age we're recruiting know that. So you, you don't, you don't like, you know, cross them off the list because of it. But I do think that people who do understand that either had, you know, parents that played or that taught them that secret or good coaches. I think they uh, can separate themselves a little bit and show a certain level of mental toughness, which ultimately makes them a better player and makes them more desirable to coaches to recruit. What are some things that you wish parents and high school players knew about division three basketball i wish they knew that um uh, one how competitive it is i think a lot of people think that they're too good for division three and we as coaches are watching events and think they're not even good enough so um i i think that they should you know going into the whole process i would encourage everyone to just educate themselves as much as possible about what level realistically they can play at or what kind of schools they think they would fit at because I think you got, you know, 75, 80% of kids playing AAU think they're going to play D1. And the reality is it's probably going to be more like 5%, if that. I mean, not even that, you know. Um, but it's, you know, there's a little bit of delusion there. And I think you got to understand that, you know, what, what your level is. And and then, again, I, I think a lot of people are handled the right way, too. I'd say this, a lot of people are open to all options. Um, and if, you know, the Division One door opens and they can close down the other you know, lower level options, but I think they should keep everything open until they know something with some certainty. You, you mentioned players educating themselves on, on what, what kind of level they are. Like, how, how does a player do that? What do you, what do you recommend a player do? Um, I mean, just an example, like, you know, yeah. with pro, with pro skills, yeah. we always recommend like, go watch a division two game, go watch a division three game and, and watch a division one game and JUCO and NAI and, and yeah. kind of practice some, um, you know, some self-awareness and, and examine these guys and examine you, be honest with yourself yeah. and try to determine where you can play and anything else. So you, going back yeah. to my original question, how, how can a player educate them on themselves on what level they should be realistically looking at? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think the advice you're giving is good. I, I think people should see a good D3 game, a good uh, level D2 game, so they just have an understanding. Uh, but, but I do think there's still a weakness there and that it, people are still delusional, you know, so – they're still going to see that and think they're better. And we've had guys that do that. They come to our games and go, Hey, that was great. It was better than I thought, but I still think I'm better. And um, we know that to not be true. But uh, so I, I think another piece of advice would be like, find some coaches in your area that you trust, whether it's a high school coach, AU coach, or even a neutral coach 
and and you know when you're sophomore junior just ask them you know where do you think what level at what level do you think i can play um so that you so that you aren't you know spending you know 12 18 months uh deluding yourself that you can play at a level that's never going to happen mm-hmm. um because i think when people have a clear idea and they accept that i think they're going to play better also i think a lot of people are pressing or feeling like the weight of the world's on their shoulders to get it some kind of offer. And, uh, I think you just gotta, that'd be another piece of advice I'd offer is like, you should just be playing to have fun. Like you've played your whole life because when you do that, when you're having fun and you're being a good teammate, uh, you, you're going to be more successful and uh, then give yourself more options. And I would say, you know, just learning that as a college coach, it's really helpful now that I have children and our oldest, your nephew, uh, is seven, you know, playing baseball and before every game, I mean, I'm not telling them to get hits or do anything, you know, like not make mistakes, not make errors. I'm telling them to have fun and be a good teammate. I think those are the two most important things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wish more people that are a little older at the recruitable age would, would be aware of that as well. Mm-hmm. How do you handle it when recruits, like you just mentioned, they, they come to your games and, you know, they leave and maybe they tell you, you know, Hey, I think I'm better. I still want to go for division. How, how do you handle it as a coach? Is that, uh, I can imagine. I mean, I, I, I would be understanding if that you said that makes you, you know, somewhat resentful or makes you angry or turns you off of the kid. Like, what, what is what does that do to you and how you view that kid? Again, because it's it's, it's such a common uh, occurrence. I we don't hold that against anyone. We don't get mad. We just, you know, I think it just kind of depends on. And any anyone who's recruitable age listening to this, I would encourage you to just. Um, make sure you're handling yourself the right way with college coaches, with your AU coaches, with high school coaches, because when we see a kid in an event, um, the deciding factor for us is going to be when we call them on the phone or we have them on campus, that interaction and how they are handling themselves. Uh, whether, so, so even if, if they say, Hey, I think I'm division one and they say it in a nice way and they say, Hey, thanks for calling. Or, you know, I, I've learned about your school or they show some level of just, Respect. Being a uh, uh, well respected, not even to us, but just being like not all about themselves. I would say, you know, being a little other centered, then you're, we're not going to hold it against them. Um, you know, if, if you're going to be arrogant about it or, uh, you know, kind of shut the door, or be close minded about it. I think we're just going to think that that's maybe some kind of uh, maybe a personality flaw that even if you were open, we wouldn't want you. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's uh, the best way to to make sure you just kind of handling every situation with integrity mm-hmm. uh, would, would be the best advice I could give. I wish I could articulate it better. What's your advice for a kid who is, when this happens to us a lot with our high school teams, is kids that either say it's division one or I'm not playing or, or I'm just going to go to school and be a normal student. What's your advice for a player in that situation? Well, I, I don't know. I, I haven't heard a lot of kids say that. I would say though that, um, that, I don't think it, if you go to Division One, you're going to have success if that's your mentality. Um, because because I think you're if you're saying that, I don't know how much you love playing. If if you love playing, you're going to go, hey, I really want Division One, but regardless, I still want to play. If you say Division One or bust, I would immediately think if I was at a Division One school, what what reason are you doing this for? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if you're not passionate about it and if you don't love it just like you did when you were eight years old. And I don't think you're going to be a good division one player. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. That's a, that's a little bit of a, 
shocking mentality to have to me. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let change gears here real fast, Coach. Tell us a little bit more about your uh, your national championship run and, and kind of the lead up to it. I mean, like you mentioned before, your record and how you kind of steadily increased in wins over the seasons and. and the 2017-2018 season, you guys get to the Elite Eight, and you know next year you turn around and make it to the national championship. Like, tell us about those um, NCAA tournament experiences and, and and what that was like, and what it's like for the school now and the guys and your team now and you to to be getting this attention and, and making those successful runs. Yeah, well, for anyone listening that didn't follow this year, I would just like to um, just confirm, like we we, we had a national we made a run to the national game. We lost in the final. So, uh, not to the national championship, like winner take all. Um, yeah. So, but I, I think, uh, um, yeah, you know, it was just, it was kind of a slow and steady process. I mentioned earlier, I mean, the first three years were really, uh, were, were, were a struggle. Uh, and then in year four, we, we were 22 and eight. We had a really good year kind of turned the corner a little bit. Then the next year kind of took the next step. We won the conference tournament. That was the first time in our history we'd done so. And then, you know, I, we just had a, we had a really good group of guys. And so the next year coming back, they wanted to do it again. And we did and just kind of, you know, nothing for us is ever at the beginning of the year, like, hey, here's what we're going to do. It's more, here's what our goals are, but let's kind of put them, you know, away in a drawer somewhere and let's just try to get better every day. And so, every every time we won in the tournament last year and then this past season was kind of you know a bit of a surprise like oh good we got another game we got another game let's you know let's look forward to the next one so it's really kind of a day-by-day type of you know live in the present mentality and how do you how do you guys look forward to next year is it national championship again or bust or is it how do you view that and and what's the message you're relaying to your team in in preparation for next season well the national championship, I think when you're a, when you become a good program, I think that's always the goal. But then again, like I said, you put it away and then um, I, every season is different. We're not going to put that pressure on our guys. And I don't even feel that as a coach to say, hey, we have to go do this or we're failures. Every, every journey is different. The process is different. Um, you know, we're going to start from day one with a different group of guys and we're going to try to, you know, come together and get better uh, as much as is humanly possible. And we're going to do try to do that every day. So. You know, wherever that takes us, um, as long as we have the right attitude about it and we give the right effort, um, you know, then I think it will be a successful journey. So besides, um, you know, besides winning the games and everything, what did you really enjoy about um, this past season and getting to play in the national championship game? I really enjoyed seeing our guys, like, get that experience because I had it at Davidson. You know, we went to the NCAA tournament. Uh, my sophomore year and then I, a couple times when I was a coach and it's just a, you know, it's a magical time. It's why you play, you know, it's why you play college basketball. You want to get to the NCAA tournament and you want to get on the road and you want to get in some of these environments. And so, especially, you know, I'd say going up to Amherst is really special, you know, four great teams up there and just had a, you know, just traveling together and then having the experience in that environment was great. And then of course, going to Fort Wayne the next weekend for the final four, you know what our guys did there they'll remember forever you know just in terms of meals and restaurants or time together in the hotel or being in the arena and having the nice locker room with the, you know their 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 names on name plates and um, just an experience you'll remember for the rest of your life and I, I could see how much our guys appreciated it and enjoyed it and for me that was you know it was really fun to see mm-hmm. 
with that run and the, the attention and, you know, the attention on you and the attention on your team and everything, does that come with any, you know, any sort of expectations you have to manage or any, any concerns on your part as a coach that that's actually going to work against you in the future? No, no concerns. I mean, I think it does just mean like when something like that happens, you know, as, as far as we went this year to the, to the final game, I, I think you, it just kind of, um, how are you going to adjust? How are you going to adapt? You know, what, what are you going to change to keep getting better? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, I would say, you know, because it's a good question you bring up. It's something uh, our assistant coach Shane Leffler and I spoke about, you know, two or three weeks after the final game is like, Hey, things are, things have changed. Like, my role as head coach is now a little different. I have to do some different things, which is great for you, Shane. Now you have to um, do some things differently and you get more responsibility. And, you know, Shane's great assistant coach. He's done a great job with his new responsibilities. So um, I, just things like that. Like, I don't think you can keep doing the same things. It's like, I think that's what's, that's the inclination. But I think if you're exploring, hey, we, we loved that. We want to do it again or even keep getting better. Then I think you're always looking for different avenues to evolve and tweak mm-hmm. tweak things yeah i think that point the question came from a place of you know managing distractions so i, I was curious to know like you know with yeah. all the attention is it has it become a distraction and if it has how do you how do you manage it you know at our level i don't think it's a huge distraction like it mm-hmm. would be if you you know were at division one it, it is it does add some uh some things to your plate, some different things. Um, but generally it's, it's not that it's not unmanageable. And, uh, and it's something that, you know, again, I think you just, as long as you kind of adjust and adapt, I think you, it, it's just a positive. Well, cool. So what, what should, um, what should people expect from Swarthmore basketball in uh, the 20, 2019, 2020 season? I don't know. You know, my, my, my standard answer for that is ask me after like two to three weeks of practice and I'll tell you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, once you get your guys together and you see how they gel and see how they're working and see what, how engaged and focused they are. But I, I expect that our group coming back I and mean, we have a lot of guys coming back. We return 12 guys and add four new players. So I, I, I expect that, you know, they're going to be, uh, just as locked in, just as hungry, just as excited to be here as as they were every day this year. Yeah. Well, coach, wish you wish you good luck. I'm, you know, you know, I'll be up there to see some games. Um, <laughs> before we go, since birth, pretty much, you have been an avid reader. Give me a, a book or two or an article that you think would be extremely beneficial for young coaches to read. Uh, let me just rattle off a few here because I do have a, you know, the good ones I read, I, I kind of keep on my bedside table. So I would say uh, Season of Life by Jeffrey Marks is one. Mm-hmm. I'd say uh, The Paradox of Power by Pat Williams. I would say The Talent Code and the Culture Code by Dan Coyle. Uh, I would say To Sell is Human by Daniel Pink. Um, and that might be it for right now. Okay. Good stuff. Um, okay, L- last thing before we let you go, any? Um, I know you're not overly active on social media, but if people wanted to follow, people want to follow you. People want to follow Swarthmore Basketball. Where, where should they go? You can follow me on Twitter. I'm just at Landry Kozmalski. You're you will be sorely disappointed because um, I I almost never tweet. Um, and then yeah, we have a, a, a at Swat Basketball is our Twitter handle. If people wanted to follow the program. 
Okay. You'll be a little less disappointed by following up. <laughs> program than following me not super active on social media like me so um all right well landry thanks buddy it's been a been a pleasure to to talk with you and have you on the podcast and you know anything else you'd, you'd like to discuss if not i'll you know thank you and, and and let you go let you sign off okay well i appreciate it thanks for having me all right landry kosmowski head coach at swathmore basketball on the pro skills basketball podcast thanks